0: Hey everyone, this is Derek Harp, the founder and chairman of the Control Systems Cybersecurity Association International, or as we call it, just CSE. CSE is a 501 C6 nonprofit workforce development association dedicated to helping grow, support and sustain the professionals charged with the cybersecurity of control systems. We're specifically talking about those systems that have pumps and valves and actuators, real cyber to physical moving parts and control nearly every aspect of our modern connected industries. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. It is my hope you find it inspirational or motivating or revealing or informative, and perhaps at times even a little entertaining. Take care and be well. So, uh, we're ready for our first panel on automotive and trucking. And, you know, truth be told, there's, there is some distinction in there. Um, so I'll welcome our three panelists to that. We have um, some other speakers in the series, um, Antoine's uh, colleague, at the National Motor Freight Traffic Association. Ben Gardner will be doing the, the solo event. They decided to split themselves up. So um, Antoine will introduce in, introduce his association today uh, and uh, be on the panel. And, and so we'll get two different perspectives uh, from, from them, which is awesome. And I, I get shed light on their organization and we're missing Michael. So one more person. There's Michael, Nicole and Antoine. Okay, well, welcome uh, gentlemen. Uh, Nikhil gets the uh, bonus for being the latest at night uh, as participant from all the way from India, so thank you. Um, thank you. All right. Well, why don't we do a quick round of introduction? I think I've got a slide for each of you, so I think, Antoine, you're up first. And I wanted you to talk, since you another nonprofit. I always want to show uh, some love for nonprofits uh, since we are one. And so introduce yourself and, and your organization, if you would.
1: Well, I'm Antoine Banks. I'm a new member here at the uh, National Motor Freight Traffic Association. I've been here about uh, about two months. The main goal of the uh, NMFTA uh, is to promote cybersecurity, well, not promote cybersecurity, but uh, to promote the welfare of the motor carriers. And my job here is to evangelize cybersecurity to the trucking industry to make sure as we roll in dr- autonomous trucks, electric vehicles, uh, trucks are starting to take on networks, that we do it in a secure fashion. So, and- National Motor Freight is all about uh, promoting uh, a good well being in the uh, motor carrier freight industry.
0: Well, thank you for being uh, willing to be shuffled to this because of your new association that you're, a member, you're, you're um, employed at. I know we, you and I that you know a lot about railways and, and public transportation. So um, I'm grateful a number of you speakers moved around to sort of fit this new panel and follow-on speaker uh, extravaganza that we're doing. So Antoine, thank you for that shift.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: All right. Uh, next
2: up, Nikhil. So, hello, everyone. Um, welcome to this uh, automotive panel, uh, you know, discussion. So, I'm Nikhil Bogum. I have. Uh, working with Forisha, Forvia, so right now it is called as Forvia. I'm a technical lead in functional safety and cybersecurity. Almost 17 years I spent in automotive area, out of which almost more than six years worked on cybersecurity part, but I see that automotive and cybersecurity is completely different than the normal infrastructure security. This is what I see. I have a good experience in 21434. Uh, which is a standard recently published uh, one year back. And now we are coming with new regulation in Europe for the cybersecurity for the cars and and, uh, uh, the passenger cars and most probably for the trucks. I've been a participant in multiple conferences, presentations. Uh, I just uh, uh, list out mostly from the Asia and uh, from Europe, some of them. So thank you. Thank you very much for uh, asking me to come here and present me.
0: Thank you. And last but not least, Michael from California.
3: So hi, I'm Michael Clifford. I am a principal researcher in cybersecurity and privacy at Toyota Infotech Labs. We are kind of the advanced R&D part of the R&D part of Toyota. I tend to work on things that are 10 to 15 years out, so I have to predict what's going to happen in the future and solve security problems for things that really haven't happened yet. I lead a uh, consortium of universities that works on advanced cybersecurity research. Uh, We work on everything from security theory to cyber physical attacks and defenses to machine learning. We we, we do a fairly wide variety of different things. I've been doing cybersecurity research since 1998, and I'm interested in uh, security, privacy, machine learning, autonomy, ad hoc networks, energy efficiency, engineering, transportation, manufacturing, and user-centric design. So basically a lot of different stuff. And thank you for inviting me.
0: Well, thank you for coming. All right. Well, uh, we've got a lot that we can get into and uh, we could talk, like I've said, for a long time with just one of you about this. So I'm excited that there are, are all these follow events uh, in the in the works. And thank you for all um, you know, getting on board that idea. Let's, let's sort of get going. I think, you know, questions come in, are going to come in from the audience. So everybody, this is your chance to, to get into this. We're going to be just, you know, scratching the surface of automotive and trucking, and then there'll be the follow-on events getting deeper uh, deeper into all these subject areas. So, um, Antoine, I'll just direct one at you. What's sort of the biggest difference between trucking, industrial control system, cybersecurity, and traditional? And I know you were, you know, like I said, in transportation for many, many years. You've seen other sectors, worked in other sectors. What's, the, what's, what's the fundamental difference for you, uh, from your perspective?
1: Well, the, the first thing I noticed, the uh, terminology uh, was different in the um, almost, I, I don't want to say regular ICS world, but I'd say in the transportation ICS world, a PLC uh, would probably mean a programmable controllable pro pro uh, program logical unit, in the trucking well you know that's a power line carrier in the train uh network you know we had uh uh, uh hmi which is a human uh interface or we had a uh a historian, uh in the trucking world, they, they 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 don't have a historian so uh the acronyms were different uh one of the biggest shocks was in the transportation world we not in transportation in the uh world. we would patch and control all of our industrial control units. So we would patch them, we would keep them up to date, and control them. But in a trucking environment, the OEMs they uh, control those uh, devices. So you have PLCs or or you have um, industrial control units on a truck. Uh, the carrier uh, doesn't really control those uh, devices, but the OEM who who made them and manufactured them and produced them, uh, they have control over them. So that was a uh, a big difference uh, to me, uh, not having the control over some of those ICS devices owner trucks.
0: Nico and Michael, why don't we go around and, and you can sort of also say what your formative sort of statement in this sort of position, a high-level high statement you'd make about this, this subsector.
3: So I, I look at the automotive industry as uh, needing to think about problems that, not just the problems that are currently occurring, but problems that are going to occur. So traditionally, the automotive industry has viewed vehicle cybersecurity as if vehicles were isolated on a small desert island and by that I mean um, if you imagine a car sitting on an island in the middle of the ocean somewhere you have some attackers but they can't get to it so you don't think about uh, cars as part of a, a larger network where things are are easier to attack so there were a few attacks that were possible and few attacks that have been anticipated engineers currently really don't think about what the possible attacks are and some of them say, well, this attack is infeasible, therefore it could never happen. Uh, but that's not a good assumption. A- attackers tend to find ways to access vehicles and their systems and their data. Vehicles are becoming more and more heavily connected to other vehicles and to um, external devices on networks. And because it only takes one incorrect assumption for an attacker to find an entry point into a vehicle, that we, we really can't think about things in that way anymore. We have to think about vehicles as as something that attackers can easily get to potentially. And we have to think about it in terms of the vehicle is vulnerable, what are we going to do about it? Um, so there, there's some some examples of some bad assumptions that are common, uh, like if security requirements are satisfied, then a vehicle is secure. Or if we satisfy legal requirements, that's sufficient. Or we might think of an attack as not feasible or too complex to succeed or the attacker can't gain physical access to the vehicle, or the attacker doesn't have access to the supply chain. All these are bad assumptions. Um, it only takes one um, attacker who can can violate these to, to get into a vehicle. And really, like, if you satisfy your requirements, uh, that's great. That's a minimum thing that you have to do, but that's not sufficient. So a, a lot of what I try and get people to think about is uh, – assume that your vehicle is vulnerable, not that you have satisfied things for whatever reason.
0: That's a good good thing to be thinking. Right, Nikhil, what about you?
2: Okay, yeah. So I think what uh, Michael said, it's uh, very true. This is how we have to right now go ahead. But I would like to tell my experience as well in this case. Uh, I've been in automotive since 17 years. I've seen evolving automotive from nothing connected outside to connected so many things outside the car. Uh, we manufacture in automotive millions of vehicles, so if you have a small vulnerability present in your car, can lead to uh, millions of vehicles affected, and you need callbacks, a lot of money uh, involved in this. This is one of the reasons I think we should take care of the security very importantly. Uh, second factor is uh, earlier you, have, you might have seen that uh, the cars were not at all autonomous driven. So, but now we see the cars are autonomous and maybe the cars has a potential to control via phones. Maybe, okay, you just put some button on the phone and the car will come to you to pick you up. So this is going to happen. And this is all, can we compromise with this cybersecurity? And you need to be very cautious in this case also nowadays uh, there are remote functions available in the car like right? you can you know turn off on your car your air conditioner before you go into it or maybe the heater or uh, mm-hmm. remote turn off your doors all these things you know these things are actually connected this is um, a luxury features indirectly you know provides an opportunity for an uh, attacker to in come and you know try to compromise such a system so this is a uh, earlier the 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 attacker feasibility was more concentrated, you know, just a few meters from the car, you could able to uh, make some kind of uh, attacks. But now cars are connected on the servers. Cars are roaming, always connected to the Internet. It's very very challenging in future for the automotive vehicle to make sure that the things like it it's almost like a mobiles now uh, whatever the security risk we have for the mobiles of course the mobile do not have a physical injuries but the compromising the car software can lead to a physical injuries as well so it's huge uh, you know impact will be there yeah so I think uh, I just wanted to say that uh, 21434 is one of the standard from ISO came and a guideline to people how we can solve this problem. In addition to that, recently UNECE, European Regulation, uh, came and forced some kind of a security monitoring in the car now. Like uh, uh, we have a monitoring for the infrastructure security. Now we will be having for the cars as well. And uh, you, it's mandatory for most uh, two certify this to be, you know, for o- every OEM. So that oh. is, I think, should be sufficient.
0: <laughs> yeah, okay, well, I think there's, there's so many threads we can pull here. I, there's questions starting to come in, so let's attack some of these. Individual vehicles need support, smart cities, international bridges, tunnels, tolls associations, even the next generation 911. Is there an overarching organization that is trying to bring these together? Does such a thing exist? Looking at all these, how these all weave together in transportation, in automotive?
3: There's organizations within the automotive space but connecting those to the the larger security and privacy framework, I don't think those exist.
0: Okay, I was not aware of it either. I just wondered if if, you, if any of you were. This here's a question directed at you specifically, Michael. Um, any thoughts and insight related to uh, EVs charging stations? And there are some other questions people are asking about the, the the cybersecurity issues of being connected to the power sources that electronic vehicle electric vehicles you know demand. And I, you you might all have comments on this. Um, what 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 does that bring
3: up? So anytime you're connected to something, that gives an attacker a potential path into a system. So when you're connecting to an EV charger, there's data flowing back and forth, and there's power flowing back and forth. An attacker could compromise the EV charging uh, device. They could make it look like your vehicle is charging when it's not. They could send too much or too little power. They could mess with that in all sorts of ways. They could also potentially send code over the data connection to your vehicle. So that's something where you have to defend against any sort of malicious behavior. Any other comments on that, gentlemen?
1: Well, you know, in my opinion, anything connected to the internet can be uh, can be hacked, can be attacked, and, and you have to understand how it's configured. So you can't have security through obscurity. And so, you know, we're kind of far out, in, 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 you know, in front of that implementation. So we need to start planning now because, again, attackers, Attackers are always one step ahead of us, maybe maybe two two steps ahead of us. Uh, but if it's connected to the internet, it can it can be attacked and it will be attacked.
0: Are autonomous vehicles uh, and software strategies being developed with unique cybersecurity guardrails to protect the user, especially in situations where there's no driver? And autonomous vehicles has everybody you know concerned from a cybersecurity perspective. I get the whole idea that it, you know, say for human beings are so prone to mistakes. If you have enough sensors, statistically you know, that should be better, right? We lose 40, somewhere between 40 and 50,000 people on our highways a year just in the US to, to motor accidents. So the idea of safety being improved, I, I just buy that uh, statistically. But then people always say, okay, well, let's say that's true. It's gonna be safer. What about, you know, autonomous cars? So I think this is multiple questions. What about cybersecurity for autonomous cars? And then, uh, yeah, is there, uh, are there, you know, unique strategies and guardrails, you know, being put in place in that area?
2: Um, yeah, Maybe can I take this question, uh, uh, it was quite related to us when we're doing such a kind of projects. So if you see the functional safety, so I've been worked as a functional safety as well, and most, we're talking about two topics. One is uh, SORTIF is uh, safety of intended functionality, uh, which is a standard uh, released by uh, for the automotive uh, autonomous vehicles. Uh, they have a different grades, and if you see in that standard, you will see a cybersecurity also need to be taken care of in the particular standard. So always when it when we see uh, functional safety is a, a small portion and a, a circle, and you see a cybersecurity as a, a big circle in that a small functional safety part is there. So whenever you develop any software uh, related to autonomous cars, it also including the safety software has to be uh, verified their vulnerabilities are present or not any potential attack can be possible or not and related uh, things has to be checked so this is uh, generally in a practice uh, for even for not only for the aut- autonomous but let's say your brakes can be compromised which is a safety related feature and uh, these safety related feature also uh, in the automotive is very important to be protected from the external attacks
3: and um, so I'll, I'll answer that Question too. So, we work directly on uh, security and privacy for autonomous mobility. Some of the things that we have been thinking about uh, that we published include um, how could uh, autonomous vehicles be misused to uh, create larger effects? For example, if an attacker were to compromise um, a set of autonomous vehicles, they could block off the highway exits between some point and some other point to control. The flow of traffic, maybe disrupting production of a factory, or preventing people from getting to a particular place, or shutting down a city's transportation network. We also think about think about uh, cyber-physical attacks. So um, we've investigated using an infrared laser to deceive uh, the perception systems of autonomous vehicles, so that they treat a the stop sign as a speed limit sign, or vice versa. So you could cause uh, crashes just by using the laser. We look at how um, attackers could uh, get into systems, or systems of systems. So we look at um, attack, defense, and policy surfaces and how those uh, interact with each other. We've developed a lot of new theory around that. We also look at explainability machine learning. So if a a vehicle does something weird and crashes or does something else that's out of the norm, we want to know why that happens. And the the problem is that machine learning acts as a black box. You know that it's made a certain decision, you know what that decision is, you don't know why. And we're working on figuring out why that's occurred. And with autonomous vehicles, we're going to need to know why certain behaviors are taking place, especially so that we can ensure that the vehicles comply with all the the rules and regulations that they're supposed to so yes we absolutely think about this stuff
2: one point i wanted to add yes michael actually uh, we do a sensor fusion for that so whenever you have uh, multiple you know if the autonomous vehicle uh, has a mi or ai related software which can produce unpredictable behavior uh, but this unpredictable behavior is also difficult to test in the field so we have a sensor fusion so we take multiple inputs, uh, like maybe LIDAR, ultrasonic sensors, and maybe uh, cameras. This could be the three plausible information is used uh, to process any data. So... Uh, of course, these are the method, of course, not for uh, having uh, issues for the cybersecurity, but uh, related to the safety. And if we can somehow make um, isolation between this information uh, reception and, uh, for example, the example you have given, instead of stop sign, you put some, you know, stickers on that, which will allow uh, not to detect it, but somehow um, the other sensor could be able to detect the other things. So that's, that's what, like, maybe GPS location will tell, okay, this road is uh, not allowed after after uh, from the map information. So such a kind of information can be plausible. Yeah, that's it. Just I wanted to add one more point from Mark.
3: Yeah, sensors yeah,
2: on, on the truck side, we, we haven't done much
1: with autonomous vehicles. Uh, I think the public is uh, right now more accepted of uh, commercial, I mean, regular uh, personal vehicles. Uh, but I do uh, I am aware that they are starting to do some testing on uh, commercial eighteen uh, wheelers, and so we're we're gonna start looking into that. But right now, I don't think the public is ready to see eighteen uh, wheelers on the highway uh, right now today.
0: I was gonna ask you about that. I mean, it's it's if you look far enough forward, it's gonna be part of the part of the the mix, right? It just I
1: test them right now. Uh, if you go out mm-hmm. and look at the uh, thing it's called Aurora, Road project—they are actually testing driverless trucks right now. They got, of course, they have somebody on the on the passenger side, but that's something we need to look into. But we—it had been on the uh, top of our list right now, uh, just because the public, you know, it's not ready for public consumption. Uh, but that's something we need to look at uh, real soon.
0: So it's only a matter of, of prioritization and timing for your organization, not not a question of if, right? It'll—it's just a matter of when.
1: A matter of when,
0: yeah. Yeah. Now here's a question right back at you. Um, Albert asks, does the automotive and trucking industry view federal rules? And this could go to any of you, I suppose, as well. Federal rules as positive for cybersecurity or is a hindrance for the continuous flux nature of cybersecurity?
1: Well, in my in, in my past experience, I mean, it always helped. Most of the time it doesn't come with funding. Uh, and so it's always a little tricky. They, they put uh, compliance issues on you, but they don't it doesn't come with funding. Uh, some organizations could. Um, use that to get federal grants. I know at my last organization at Mata, uh we were able to get about $4 million worth of grants, uh, cybersecurity grants to try to meet those regulations. Uh, but I, I think it helps. It'll it, it, it help with the leadership because a lot of times, if you want an effective cybersecurity, it's a top-down approach versus a bottom-up. And uh, you know, federal regulations is always a good place to start.
0: If it moves the needle, sometimes it might not move, depending on the industry, vertical or company. Um,
1: it, just, it just depends on the culture.
0: Yeah, here's a detailed question, um, and I'm going to try to ask it. You know, Nico, you've you've mentioned a couple of standards. Uh, how are you leveraging the secure product development practices in Part Four One of ISA IEC 62443, and the technical security requirements for components, devices, firmware, and software in Part Four Two? ISA, IEC are engaged in horizontal application of Parts 4-2, and the last word I received on the committee was that automotive aviation were directed by IEC not to create duplication, but to leverage technical security requirements from 62443, Parts 4-2, 3-3, and 4-1, et cetera.
2: Okay, so basically the question is how how we can use this uh, practically. Of course, uh, if you see an automotive, it's not just uh, uh, one standard which has been um, you know referred from this ISO two one four three four. There were multiple standards. but of course uh, there are guidelines and it has to be you know utilized based on the uh, different levels of uh, security defense. So always we work with the defense in depth. So we don't don't say that okay you encrypt the information and that's sufficient, but in the product label. Uh, like I don't know about the infrastructure security much but if I see the uh, product it's like physical attacks are also possible where the, the anybody can open the car and get the firmware readout so you need to protect all the ports even with the physical access that they should not use as a stepping stone for the further access generally they, we, we have uh, uh, JTAG ports uh, we encrypt the firmware we have a secure boot and so on so basically um, uh, what we do right now for the automotive is it's rightly stated that currently we do not have a sufficient information uh, about the automotive um, uh, threats or uh, vulnerabilities possible vulnerabilities but we can use this Mitre w, uh, CWE common weakness exposure uh, to check uh, as a you know checklist that these are the things conceptually on a multi-layer firmware or hardware on a software uh, as well as uh, on the system level where are what are the possible issues faced by the infrastructure security and now we can similarly apply for the product as well this is what we can't wait for you know things to happen and get compromised and then we learn and we do something called as CVE you won't find any CVE for automotive. Very, very rare chances you will get it. Uh, I mean, very few, not many as IT security is. So you need to start with thinking what things were already failed by the other system and you have to learn from it and you need to apply for the automotive.
3: I'm sure all the OEMs spend a lot of time making sure that they comply with all the relevant rules and regulations. Uh, I, I can't uh, speak for Toyota and... In- um, on that particular issue. But one thing I really want to emphasize is that compliance with rules and regulations is required. It's necessary, but it's not sufficient. The regulations always trail what uh, what's the state of the art in technology and really trail what attackers can do. So an attacker will come up with something, the average time to Detect and remediate an attack. It's about seven months on a, a network on a vehicle. You have the additional problems of well, how do you detect it? Um, does the vehicle ever communicate with the um, the OEM? Is the attack ever detected? And what are what are the consequences of it? It could be embedded for a long time. So you, you can imagine that attackers are going to be five to ten years ahead of the regulations minimum. Um, so you. Must comply with the regulations, but you also must develop defenses that are applicable to things that have not been considered in the regulations. And when I read regulations, it they they're not they're usually not thought about in a way that um, matches what the attackers can do. So it, it's necessary, it's absolutely not
0: sufficient. That makes sense because that's true in all the different verticals. The compliance and and obviously we have a couple of industries where there's some heavy cybersecurity compliance going back some years, like electric sector. Compliance doesn't equal security. It's it's a, it's a different thing. It can, as Antoine said, it can drive some security behavior. It can drive some top level decision making to do some things that they weren't doing, but it doesn't equal security. And it can, I think, Michael, your point, leave lots and lots of holes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah exactly. Sense. That makes sense. Makes total sense. So let's talk about the OEMs. You You brought it up. There are questions coming in. There are more questions coming in, but people are asking about the automakers. Uh, and so, uh, with full caveat that none of you will be talking about a specific automaker, um, where you know, if we had to grade them, where where are they on taking cybersecurity for uh, for cars and trucks seriously?
3: Uh, well, I
2: work for an automaker. So I, I well, guess yeah.
0: I'll give <laughs> you out there, Michael, so that your comments are in
1: general about the industry and certainly not about oil.
2: learning. Uh, we are learning. <laughs> so,
1: well I, I, I can tell you from my little short two months of being here i've always been a part of, of, of some type of ISAC, whether or not it was a, a ms SAC, and i tried to join the auto ISAC, and i can tell you that the oems are a little uncomfortable with certain members joining the uh, auto ISAC because i don't think they want to be dictated to how they produce or, or create their their uh, software or their products and so uh, i think we still have and again i'm only two months in uh, but I can see a little resistance to, to compromising on, on uh, products and software, secure products and software.
2: I think um, one important aspect is that, of course, this is the correct time, I think OEMs and as well as the regulatory bodies came up with the standards and compliances because uh, I, we see this could be a revolution in the cars that earlier cars were not so much connected. And uh, now the features are coming and connected uh, to the you know, Internet and uh, the threats are increasing. And I think the pace at which the the, the integration of these new features are coming up, also the, uh, the automaker, I believe so. Okay, so I'm not actually representing anyone for this answer. But uh, this is my impression that automaker is also uh, trying to catch uh, what the pace expectation from the users for the feature so it's not that we are uh, not done anything but i see really we have so many things uh challenging uh, things are there which uh, has to be discussed and fixed but um, yeah so we we actually you uh, know uh, have uh, trying to catch what the expectation of the what well, the customers are
0: are we early and of course we stage we're not late stage as far as sophistication <laughs> industry are we are we is it super early or are we Have we passed beyond that
2: I don't uh, want to tell that what, uh, what stage it would be, but I would like to say that, of course, uh, any software. So right now uh, in Indian company, what I see is uh, always a compliance mandatory uh, due to this regulation and standards. And when these compliance are mandatory, it means they might have thought something, the regulator bodies and understand- the standards that minimum your company should ensure this much security. Of course, there are definitely vulnerabilities going to present throughout the life of the vehicle but they see that you can reduce the risk by applying such a you know processes standards and i feel uh, if we can comply to that we are significantly reducing the risk one of the important aspect of this standard and compliances are is that they ask you to monitor the vulnerability like uh, and one told auto isac is one of the platform which is very good and so many uh, you know uh, oems and suppliers they are connected to it and they they share a lot of vulnerabilities which is not available to the public and it doesn't make sense to make it available to the public because the car is on the road and you can't fix it on 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 one next month or something like this so you might need some time because these cars may not be connected directly to the internet and you cannot flash them so i think these things are coming up and uh, we are sharing some information between the oems and suppliers so to fix these issues so I think we are sufficient based on the regulatory. If we comply to the regulations and the standards, we should be sufficient. But of course, the features are getting really complex, and you have a lot of challenges to fix them in future.
0: Hey everybody, Derek Harp here, and I just want to take a brief moment to thank three companies that make this podcast series possible. The first company is Waterfall Security Solutions. They led the charge this year for the podcast, and they specifically sponsored it from their podcast, the Industrial Security Podcast. So check that out. That's a great linkage to an entire other series of over 100 episodes. They had their anniversary recently focused on control system cybersecurity, and they were supported this year by KPMG and Fortinet. We could not do this without them. These companies not only have supported this podcast series this year, but they have supported CSA since its very early days, eight years ago, and we're entirely grateful to the teams and dedicated professionals at Waterfall Security Solutions, KPMG, and Fortinet. I want to be able to go on my phone and, and tell my car to have a cappuccino ready for me in the car when I get there, you know, to go away and have the temperature exactly at 76.6 <laughs> degrees. And I need to do that for the moment I get up in my, you know, in bed still, right? I mean, that's coming. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah, but yes, yeah, 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 of course. When car, is. Uh, yeah, when your car has chat, uh, uh, artificial intelligence and chat GPT in it and it tells you that you don't need the coffee, that you should drink <laughs> tea instead, then you got a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes, you've been
0: yes. the seat has a weight sensor. Uh, I, you know, I need to tell you, as your car, um, you've been gaining one pound a week for the last four weeks. So lay off the
3: lattes. As a good yes. example of what the auto industry needs to be thinking about, large language models such as Chat, Chat GPT, I can imagine will almost certainly be embedded in vehicles in the future. I don't think anybody is has done work on embedding them right now, but you can imagine that something like ChatGPT would become an interface in the future. So you have to think about what are the security implications of that and how do you design it so it can't be manipulated and how do you design it so um, Sony doesn't cause the interface of the vehicle to hallucinate. Um, Hallucination, if if you're not familiar with ChatGPT or Google Bard, I'll give a really good example. Uh, The other day I was playing with Google Bard, which is very much like ChatGPT, and I asked it who wrote my dissertation. And it, it insisted that my dissertation was written by people at other universities and people with similar names, but definitely not me. And then it insisted that it didn't exist. <laughs> and then it, it insisted that it did exist. It, it was clearly hallucinating on this. I, I, I asked it a bunch of other questions like uh, papers for references for something, and it literally made up the papers. <laughs> it, it even gave me references for the papers. Wow. and and DIY papers, uh, it, it gave me everything I needed I, I told the people I work with here's some papers we maybe should look at I started looking for them they don't exist So wow. um, it, it, it's things like this that that we really need to, to think about and yeah compliance is, is definitely important and you must do it but what's going to happen in 10 to 15 years how are how are these systems going to behave? How will they interact with people? What technologies will they use? And what what are the security implications of those things? And I, I think if you're not thinking about that, you're so far behind because it, it takes, uh, a vehicle development cycle is about five years. So that, that 10 years is only two uh, vehicle generations out. What happens if you, um, uh, you start working on a vehicle now, it comes out in five years, it implements some of these technologies, and the technologies are vulnerable in some way, and you haven't thought about how to address those, those vulnerabilities.
0: Yeah, that, that that cycle, you've touched on a number of things, I, and, I, and it, well, more than one of you did, that I've just been recollecting sort of in my head, that you can't get access to these assets easily, uh, many of them. They are out roaming around the world. And so updating them, changing them, that's a unique, uh, a unique constraint. You can't just go to, uh, you know, building X and say, you know, it might be inconvenient to get access today or to turn off the, the production process and get access. And not to make light of other OT applications here. It's like, where is the asset? I mean, asset discovery is a big discussion in all these sectors here. It's like, where's our asset? You know, where's Waldo? So that's an interesting uh, problem. And then you're, you know, you're talking about the cycle um, and, and sort of how things evolve and, and get out in the marketplace. And it's, it's, that is another unique sort of constraint here. That's a good segue to OEMs and to how different they are. Um, you know, are you going to find bus in every one of these? And, and I think maybe one of you should sort of address protocols that are specific to this industry. But is every manufacturer, uh, you know, quite unique and different? So when we're talking about cybersecurity, hard to apply some things unilaterally because the systems are so different or are there common frameworks or common communication uh, protocols, you know, that, that, that everybody's using?
1: Going the trucking program. industry, that's, that, that is a big problem. They, they're different. You know, every carrier has a different telematic systems or, or, you know, uh, ICS uh, systems. And so if you try to train your, 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 your workforce on it, uh, how to configure it and how to keep it up to date and, uh, uh, it, it's an issue. So yeah, it, from what I've seen, again in my short time, uh, it is a big difference in the uh, in the OEMs.
3: So there there are common protocols and from common standards that are shared across OEMs, and there are suppliers that more than one OEM uses. So if there's a vulnerability in the supply chain somewhere, that could potentially affect more than one OEM's products. Having said that, there's a lot of differences between in, in implementations. For example. Um, Toyota is developing a, um, an operating system for vehicles called Aireen. GM is developing one for its vehicles. Volkswagen is developing one for its vehicles. And so the, you could have an implementation vulnerability where um, somebody implements something incorrectly. So even if the protocol is great, even if um, there isn't a, a, a problem with a standard or a specification, you could still have a vulnerability in that. Having said that, it, because a lot of components use the same protocols, they're expecting to talk on the CAN bus, which is vulnerable. If you have uh, a vulnerability that affects one on something that's shared like a CAN bus, that probably affects everybody. The, let, let me rephrase that. The, the class of attack may, refer, may affect everybody. Um, so you could have many different implementations where like, a gm car has a different implementation than a ford car or even than another gm car but you you still have that type of attack which could affect everybody so it's really important for when when you discover a vulnerability to report it there there's um recognized reporting mechanisms you you need to make sure that these things become public otherwise um somebody could take uh, an attack that's, that's possible on one vehicle and apply it to another vehicle. Okay.
0: Th- thank you for addressing that. There's, there's a number of comments about, about CAN bus and things like that, and Interbus is uh, uh, a, another well-known person in the industry is talking about here. One person says, and this is his statement, that the automotive domain has typically been very closed, allowing designers to claim the system is secure because people don't know much about it, or reversing, you know, reverse engineering, it is difficult and this is not great for security, do you see this changing? And do you, you, first do you agree with that and do you see this changing?
3: So it, it I, I'd say that's true um, in, in talking to engineers from various companies. Um, people assume that because a um, they think that it's difficult to attack a system or it's complicated or they haven't published information about it, that nobody's going to get into it. And that's, that's uh, one of the bad assumptions I mentioned earlier. Attackers are smart. Attackers figure out how to learn about a system. They're really good at probing it. They're really good at figuring out uh, what this, the um, the system might do in a way that uh, the engineer hasn't thought about. And they will exploit that. So just assume your system is vulnerable. It might not be, but just assume that it is.
0: The law of unintended consequences applies.
3: Yeah, and, and security through obscurity doesn't work
0: doesn't work yeah yeah for sure i mean it, it, i'm thinking as you were talking and like you know uh, of a protected physical security plant and like oh well, nobody can get in here and you know so now the, it's connected various technologies but this operating system or these technologies we're talking about uh many of them they're roaming around as far as getting physical access to them that's not hard to do
3: it's not and if you look at like industrial control systems they were designed with the assumption they're going to be operating right. offline they're never connected to the internet nobody has access to them, and then people want to connect them to the internet. So you're, you make assumptions in, in the design phase of a system. Those assumptions turn out to be wrong, and you don't have a way to easily replace those systems or update those systems. And one of the things you have to think about in designing a system, whether it's a car or an industrial control system or a truck or whatever, you have to think about what might change in the environment of that system over its life cycle, could it be connected to things, could new ways of interacting with it, new vulnerabilities, and how are you going to address that?
1: You know, one of the things I found uh, when I was at the uh, rail system, uh, and and is the case in most uh, industrial control systems, they like to operate with the assumption assumption that their system is air-gapped. And when we did a pen test, without going into details, we found out that there were a lot of holes punched into that gap system so they can remotely manage. Uh, we haven't done a pin test on the organization uh, in the trucking industry, but I, I'm making the assumption that we're gonna find the same thing that OEMs have uh, holes punched into the trucking network so they can manage those uh, SCADA devices, uh, those ICS devices. OEMs have holes punched in them so they can update them, you know, flash update them, uh, update the software, things of that nature. And the businesses may have holes Connected to those uh, trucking networks as well, so they can they can manage them. So if you don't properly configure those those holes that are punched into those supposedly gap networks, then you introduce a vulnerability. And
0: we're and we're talking about you know a lot of today in my mind. I keep thinking about a car or a truck, but we are talking automotive. It's there's a whole host of connected things, right? There are toll roads and mapping and a, a lot of systems that impact the automotive and trucking industries, right? And so we're really talking about cybersecurity for all of those in the grand scheme of things, correct? correct.
3: Yeah. yeah, whenever you have interacting systems, uh, those systems can introduce vulnerabilities into each other. There could be an attack path where you're, uh, you're going after an IoT device first. That IoT device happens to connect to a vehicle and use that as a bridge to the vehicle. Um, some good examples would be your phone when you connect it to your vehicle. If your phone is vulnerable, you're connecting it to the telematics system. Maybe it can attack the telematics system or the um, the radios that are used to communicate between the car and other things. Or there was an attack recently where somebody removed a headlight from a vehicle, uh, attached something to the CAN bus and put the headlight back on. Um, <laughs> so you can't even assume that something like the the CAN bus Even if you had the the car straight from the OEM, there was no problem with it. Somebody could come along in the future and interact with it. And I believe by law, every vehicle sold in the US has an ODB port, which is a physical way of connecting to the vehicle and interacting with some of the vehicle systems. So if you have this, this accessible ODB port, you can take a device, connect to it, and now you're connected to the vehicle's network and so you, you do need physical access to do that, but that means that if there's no defense against things coming from the ODB port, uh, your your vehicle is vulnerable.
0: You know, one of the participants that's making a number of comments, not, not all questions right now, but he's a, a well-known security guy in, in, in a variety of sectors. He's saying too many free tools, taking advantage of native features. And what, what does that conjure up for you? Yeah. I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking of all these things, plug and play, plug this in, you sort of mentioned about things, plugging it in, and it's got too much permission. I, I think about other cybersecurity applications of limited permissions, is is the state of the union today for too many devices and too many devices made by a variety of third parties, phones being, you know, maybe one that can really wrap our head around, but but other things and IOT devices made by who knows that have too much authority or too much admin, administrative access, whatever you want to call it, or can get to, too, you know, network segmentation is very popular the industries. Are we doing that here? Saying, well, you only need to get access to this not all of this
2: so basically one of the things maybe we can call it as like we have a, a configurable apps on the instrument cluster maybe this is a, a plug and play or freeware software where you wanted to have a new music player maybe you wanted to install and it so this is could be a, one of the examples so what we generally try to do as a defense mechanism is the isolation or sandboxing so generally it's very commonly used uh, And whenever we see a permission like manifest file for all the apps, which is other than, you know, um, uh, specially required uh, some access to the hardware, core hardware, uh, such uh, devices are, you know, uh, such apps can be, you know, uh, um, you know, configured separately, and those open source, those are uh, completely possible that the compromise is possible. In such a case, this kind of a defense mechanisms can be implemented. So it's not that we just use the open source. Uh, we have these OSS scans also. We understand what are the possible vulnerabilities from the the new software which is uh, installed.
3: Yeah. Um, uh, so I'll add to that that not only are should you not trust things that connect to a vehicle, the vehicle should not trust its own components because the components could have been attacked or could use uh, adversarial data or adversarial software that um, when, when it's faced with some sort of a, a particular trigger or after a certain time or something like that, it might behave in a bad manner. So your, your brakes, maybe they're talking to the brake pedal maybe somebody else is inserting network packets that look like brakes or brake pedal or something and how do you know that the brakes are talking to the brake pedal and not to something else that's pretending to be the brake pedal or the gas pedal or something so the 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 components with the car really have to authenticate each other and not trust each other nothing in a, a network really should trust anything else unless and the permissions that Devices allowed to things that use them, the people or their their devices. Um, those should always be minimized. Like never anything that's necessary.
0: I just saw this image of a standard. This is a zero trust car. Nothing in this car trusts itself.
1: <laughs> I mean, if you understand how hackers work, there's two things they mm-hmm. want to do when they get in your network. One is gain persistence. Two is they want to pivot and they uh, exploit their trust. So if if you don't have it, you know, properly uh segmented or network segmentation you know they can hop around that network and, uh compromise uh more and more devices once they get once they get a foothold in
0: well, yeah man there's a lot of stuff to consider here um here's an interesting question uh, you know there's, there's we're talking about all these devices that might you know connect but here's one that everybody can wrap their head around for electronic for electric uh vehicles um which is uh so the question is you know can malicious code from a charging station to an EV, go both ways. In other words, use the vehicle to further spread the virus, Trojan, or worm. Absolutely. I mean that to me. I'm thinking yes. about that. driving down the highway, pulling to a station. Could, could, in theory, could someone compromise just that 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 station? And if you plug into it, you could get you could get the download. You could get the malicious code onto your onto your vehicle.
3: If you have code that could compromise a um, a charging station and code that can compromise a certain type of car you can bounce between the car and and charging stations and infect everybody as as they connect to it. It's the same as a a virus going around.
2: So basically there is one possibility like CAN is connected to such a uh, charging stations. Uh, We call it as a diagnostic commands we use to um, configure the software sometime we upload new software also via these uh, ports these uh, these are protected with seed and key management uh, type of protocols and you can um, if you can compromise the security somehow uh, then it's possible that you can change the variance of the car maybe reflash the new software and so on so it's possible uh, with the charging stations.
0: So there was already a question that just popped up. I, you know, we, we we're not, we're not going to come close to answering all these questions. More and more and more have come in for you guys. But this one was pertinent to that, saying there are data blockers for USB charging cables. Or are there data blockers for EV charging stations?
3: There should be. <laughs> 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 uh, there's different of, of charging stations. So I'm not privy to the code on the charging stations. But you should probably assume that anything you connect to is not protected.
0: This speaker or this um, uh, participant has brought this up uh, again. It was an earlier question I was going to get to. And I think, you know, he's sensing the timing is about right. Charging and EVs brings me back to my PKA certif- certificate question. What's your thought of figuring this out in the U.S.? Um, let me see if I can find the original question while you think about that. Uh, regarding EVs. There have been a lot of discussion around PKI governance. Any thoughts on how we would solve this, uh, evolve this in the U.S. versus how this has evolved in other places in the world?
2: I think you, it's uh, we're talking about the infrastructure, uh, not, not maybe specific to the cars. So I am not aware. Is, is, there,
0: is public key, you know, if is, is this terminology, you know, is this being used in Automotive?
3: It, yeah, yeah it, this it is. is
2: used definitely. Yes, this is used, but I think the question is uh, uh, regarding the rollout of the uh, he has a unique um, security um, structure for the uh, EV charging station, but uh, we don't know when this will be rollout. Right now, what I understand that there are um, OEM-specific chargers out there, and uh, of course, uh, there are some other third-party companies also provide the charging. But uh, you, uh, your maybe the question is that can we somehow make some guidelines how the charges to be made considering the security? So that's uh, what I don't know about it.
0: Did I just hear one sec, Michael? Did I just hear that we're very, very early in this sort of area pertaining to this sort of this question? PKI that that's just early as far as adoption is this we're early part of the curve on that.
1: And it was for you, Michael. I, I don't have any knowledge on the uh, charging stations.
3: I thought that was for you know, PKIs are definitely used as part of various security standards and um, uh, security implementations by the OEMs and by other things. One problem I would bring up, and this was actually part of my dissertation, is if you have a um, a PKI, the PKI is made of a certificate authority that certifies other certificate authorities that ultimately certify individual vehicles or individual users what happens if you don't trust that certificate authority what happens if your certificate authority comes from uh oem one and you're using a device from oem two or you're talking to that is that is that uh, certificate trustworthy is it valid should you trust something just because you have a root certificate that says this probably came from um somewhere And there there are examples of attacks like the komodo attack where um, Certificate authorities have been compromised and issued fake certificates. Well, real certificates for fake fake users uh, or fake companies uh, like fake Google or fake uh, Microsoft. So even even though you have a, a certificate authority, that, that doesn't guarantee anything. And even though you have a certificate authority, that's basically just making some assertions that something is true. But that doesn't necessarily mean you should trust those assertions.
0: Yeah, that that makes sense. So we've probably got time for um, we got we have lots of questions. Maybe a closing comment from each of you. I think that's I think that's all we have time for is a is a minute each, and uh, and then we'll we have to close out this panel. But I'll I'll share all these questions with you. Maybe the the, the four of us can collaborate on something because there's a ton more that we didn't get to. So please, I uh, mean, Antoine, you want to go first?
1: I mean, sure. Uh, I'm excited to be a part of this this effort. I think that we we're kind of uh, in the for, forefront of, uh, of a new a new era, vehicles with uh, networks in them, uh, driverless vehicles, uh, electronic vehicles. And one of the key things is is, is getting the awareness out. You know, We gotta get the leadership to understand that cybersecurity doesn't make money and anything that doesn't generate a profit uh, is that on the top list of, of most executives. And so we have to find creative ways to get the leadership involved and, and keep them out of court so they don't have uh, huge lawsuits and go out of business. From a lawsuit versus uh you know lack of uh, lack of customer so security awareness doing things like this is, is very important to get the leadership to understand that uh we need to be proactive uh in our defense versus uh reactive and so uh i think everybody on this call know that there's a shortage of cybersecurity experts uh and so there's also a shortage in the trucking industry you know we have i.t personnel that don't understand the trucking network uh the maintenance of a trucking network the maintenance crew that may not necessarily understand the uh, cybersecurity. So we need to create uh, more awareness opportunities. We need to uh, have you know more resources, uh, work with the institutions to try to get it in the uh, colleges and, and some of the people who create the content to make sure that not only are we creating content for the enterprise, but we're also doing it for the automobile vehicles and for the trucking uh, as well. And so I'm lucky to be a part of a team uh, that's doing research on the vehicles and publishing that research, uh, you can go out and and, and see a lot of uh, Ben. I work with uh, Ben Gardner. He he has a lot of stuff out on the uh, on the internet that he's doing. He's one of the main efforts in the uh, truck hacking competition. He also does stuff out at uh, uh, at DEF CON, and so I'm I'm sucking him dry every day to learn it, so I can help uh, educate a lot of the uh, executives the, the importance of uh, cybersecurity in the trucking industry. And so we want to do this thing proactively versus reactive because I can guarantee you the criminals, the cyber criminals are already out there finding ways to uh, to derail a truck, to um, well, not derail a truck, crash a truck or interfere interfere <laughs> with a truck and spread ransomware through the uh, electronic uh, charging station. So we just want to get in front of it and and, and not and not be reactive. Thank
0: you, Anton. Thank you.
2: Okay, so um, I think the session was very interesting, and a different um, uh, sector people came here and try to speak about about their industry. I see that uh, I've seen like since last 17 years, automotive have evolved. Since last uh, five years, it's evolving really fast on the uh, internet connections. So many things coming up related to security. We have a lot of uh, challenges uh, to be faced. I think one of the most important thing what uh, Antoine also said is we need to train people, first of all. This is the most key thing we have to do. it. The the attacker do not want to compromise really complex problems. They do not comprom- comp- uh, try to compromise that, like cryptographic breaking keys and things. No. They just try to check where he miss if loop or else look, nothing else. They don't try to get it really into complex stuff. And these small mistakes, you know, if we can able to uh, train people and try to avoid such uh, issues, uh, we can re- significantly reduce our risk. So I know some examples uh, in the past that, the systems were compromised just because uh, of one if loop that um, was the comparison was done only one time and bypass can lead to complete access to the root. So such a things uh, should not be, you know, should not happen. And I believe uh, this is a good community where we can share ideas. We learn from different problems. We share, try to give solutions uh, to others. So I think, uh, yeah, that's that's what I would like to say. In this and conclude my ending statement. Thank you for that.
0: Thank you, Nico. And as soon as we're done, you can go to bed. I, I can't, I'm trying to remember how <laughs> late it is for you, but I know it's like, Michael.
3: So I'll, I'll, I'll be quick. I want to thank uh, everyone for for being on this panel and providing great insights. Uh, I agree with what Antoine and Nikhil said. Some point I'd like to finish with are that vehicles, and especially uh, the upcoming connected autonomous vehicles, not only face traditional threats, but also many new types of threats. And it's critical that we address those threats in advance before they become actual problems. Um, Traditional approaches to automotive security are are really insufficient for dealing with those threats. We really need a cultural shift that focuses on blocking and preventing threats before they occur, and that will save time, money, and lives.
0: All right. Well, thank you uh, all all three of you for your time and effort and for uh, working with us on the the follow events. And now everybody who's participated today, you're going to be able to deeper dive. Uh, Antoine mentioned Ben Gardner, his colleague, who will do the deeper dive uh, representing their part of it in trucking. And Nikhil and Michael will be back. And so look, you can go to the um, to our website and go to the, the 100 Days of Cybersecurity landing page. And you can find all those events there. And we'll just keep sort of populating that one page about all these events. And you get to see these gentlemen uh, all go deeper. So thank you. Uh, really appreciate all of your contributions today. Thank you.